Power Problems, a podcast from the Cato Institute, now recorded in socially distanced form from our home to yours. We offer a skeptical take on U.S. foreign policy and discuss some of today's big questions in international security with guests from across the political spectrum. I'm Trevor Thrall. And I'm Emma Ashford. How are you feeling about the United States today? Have your feelings about our democracy shifted since the outbreak of the pandemic? If so, you're not alone. In fact, you have a lot of company, both at home and globally. The scramble to deal with the coronavirus pandemic has raised a lot of questions for people all over the world, not only about how their nation's response compares to others, but also about liberal democracy and its alternatives. For Americans, the fact that this pandemic struck while Donald Trump was president only serves to amplify the concerns that many have had since his election about how the world views the United States. Foreign policy observers are wondering whether the troubled American response to the pandemic will give a boost to opponents of democracy. Joining us today to talk about these issues and to share the results of a fantastic new international survey is Mark Hanna, Senior Fellow at the Eurasia Group Foundation. Mark, welcome to Power Problems. Thanks, Trevor. So this is just a monster survey. Over 5,000 respondents across 10 countries. Why don't we start by having you tell us about the motivation behind your study, what your goals are, and how you conducted it. Sure. Yeah, we, I mean, we at the Eurasia Group Foundation take uh, public opinion really seriously and, and think it gets short shrift in, in foreign policy uh, conversations, uh, both domestic uh, public opinion. So we've, we've put out now a survey of, a national survey of, of uh, the American public uh, and, and done that twice in a row, looking at their opinion of uh, the U.S. foreign policy that's conducted in their name, and the one we we just came out with is a look at uh, publics in ten very sort of geographically uh, diverse countries, countries that are geopolitically important for the United States. Um, and this is our second year doing this, uh, and we wanted to know what people around the world think about the United States and think about American democracy. We focus a lot on promoting democracy around the world. Uh, we have obsess about uh, making sure that people in co- other countries uh, you know, cherish the ideas and ideals that we do. And that's, a, that's not a bad thing. But when it comes to actually knowing whether we're being successful, understanding how uh, actual ordinary people in those countries uh, think is, is probably something that we should try to take stock of. So that's what we do. Uh, we look at it as a, as a way of kind of we, you know, the first year we called it uh, from modeling demo- uh, from democracy promotion to democracy attraction, uh, understanding how people around the world uh, see us and our form of government. And obviously, uh, it's not uniform, and we can get into some of the uh, specific specific findings as we as we continue talking. It's a great place to pivot to the next question, because in just four of the ten countries you surveyed, did a majority have a favorable view of the United States? And in just five of them did majorities like American ideas of democracy. What did you make of those findings? Is this a fundamental challenge to the attractiveness of American democracy? Or or is it something more about unhappiness with current policies and personalities? And if I could just jump in before you uh, start answering that, let's just give our audience um, a very quick rundown of what countries we're talking about. Yeah, absolutely. So we... Uh, fielded this survey in uh, India, uh, Poland, Nigeria, Brazil, Egypt, Russia, Mexico, China, and Japan, and Germany. So uh, countries that had, you know, uh, were either populous and or had uh, significant 
GDP or some sort of uh, you know, security relationship with uh, the United States. Um, and and the, we added this year Russia and Mexico uh, to this list, um, and we're, we're intending and, and aspiring to, to grow uh, the scope, the geographic scope of this every year. So back to, I guess, then back to Trevor's question, right? So he was saying, well, you know, only four of the 10 countries, um, we had a majority with a favorable view of the US, only five out of 10 majorities liked the American ideals of democracy. And I, I sort of find that second one a lot more surprising than the first one. Um, so just tell us what those findings mean to you. Sure. I mean, I, I will throw in a, in a sort of asterisk here, a caveat, which is that we did give people uh, an opportunity to answer uh, a given neutral answer. So in more countries uh, than not, uh, the, the favorable numbers were higher than the unfavorable numbers. Uh, we, we did it on a five uh, sort of five point Likert scale. Uh, people know what that is. It's basically very unfavorable, somewhat unfavorable, neutral, you know, uh, and somewhat favorable, very favorable. We were somewhat surprised by our findings because countries like Germany and Japan, actually, you know, American allies, had the least favorable opinion of the United States. People in China and Russia and Mexico and even Egypt uh, were much more favorable than than the German and Japanese public. So uh, it was interesting to find that. Um, and when it comes to American ideas about democracy, uh, that's that holds up. Uh, Japan and Germany are are low, are sort of lowest on the list. Um, and I was talking about some of these findings uh, with Bruce Stokes, who uh, created the uh, Pew Global Attitudes Project, and you know he made an observation that a lot of times the um, the countries that have the least experience with democracy tend to have the best opinion of democracy. So we see countries like you know Nigeria. Poland, India, Brazil, they're not necessarily new democracies, but they're, um, you know, they don't have the kind of uh, same history uh, that other sort of Western European countries have with democracy. And uh, there might be a, a bit of a, an aspirational view where they might not have experienced all the kind of warts of, of living in a democracy. They might not be as jaded, let's just say. Um, and I thought that was an interesting explanation. Um, but we actually went further than, you know, Pew, the, the Pew Global Attitudes Project is an, enormous and they, you know, they do a lot of really interesting and rigorous uh, surveying as well. But we, we actually asked certain follow-up questions to this because we wanted to probe further than they do into what, uh, what drives people's positive or negative views of the United States and its, and its form of government. So, yeah, don't leave us hanging. What did you find turns people off about the United States or uh, makes them uh, like the United States? Well, we did a couple things. I mean, we, we straightforwardly asked, you know, if, if uh, American style democracy would be more attractive in my country, if dot, 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 and, and gave them, you know, 10 answer options. And that varied by country. Um, we asked, uh uh, incidentally, though, but the biggest predictors of having uh, an unfavorable view of the United States, um, of having a negative opinion of the U.S., uh, were people who selected either a different person was president. So we, we ran a regression uh, to understand that kind of relationship between what, what people wanted from American-style democracy. And so if a different person was president, uh, that was a big predictor of whether you would have an unfavorable view of the U.S., um, 
and, and again, this is across these 10 countries. These aren't necessarily representative countries. Germans are famously opposed to Donald Trump, and they might have skewed this result. But so people, but across all countries, if you have an unfavorable view of this president, you have an unfavorable view of the US likely. And it's also the case that the, um, the second most, uh, the second biggest predictor uh, were people who said the uh, foreign policy of the United States were more restrained. Um, so people in foreign countries who resent uh, uh, potentially an assertive or expansive foreign policy also tend to, are, are more likely to have a negative view of the U.S. And finally, um, last year it was the gaps between rich and poor being uh, particularly high. Uh, and uh, this year it was something else, and I have to get back to you on that. So it's it's interesting that because um, so my um, I, I don't really do polling. I'll, I'll, Trevor will tell you I spend a lot of time telling him that polling really isn't that important because it just people just tell you what they want to hear. Um, but what you're saying actually does match up with results that I've seen before in other contexts, um, in other situations. You know, so people that study the Middle East um, tend to um, be aware um, that others might not be that. Uh, U.S. allies, nominal allies in the Middle East, um, the populations tend to view as far less favorably than people in, say, Iran. Um, and so there's an element of, um, you know, the grass is greener on the other side there. And it sounds like you're seeing a similar effect here. Um, and then the effects that you're talking about in Germany, where, you know, is it is it if a different person was president, that harkens back, I think, to the mid 2000s, right? We have the Bush administration, very unpopular in France and Germany, most of the European states, the invasion of Iraq, very unpopular. Um you know, and again, I suspect surveys back then, if, if you'd done this survey back then, you would have got very similar results. Different person president, I'd like America more. Um, you know, not invading everywhere, I'd like America more. And it is so, so it sounds like some of these are trends that we we are at least aware that we've seen before or in other places. Yeah, there's, I mean, public opinion is, you know, there are kind of different schools of thought in the academy. Some people think it's fickle. Some people think it's particularly durable. Um, obviously there is a way in which, uh, public opinion is sort of projecting people's own fears and anxieties. And like you said, Emma, they're, they're sort of anticipation of what's socially desirable. <laughs> and, and when you ask people in surveys, there, there is a social desirability bias. People do tell you what they think either you want to hear or what is a, an acceptable response. Um, and I also will throw out here that, you know, people don't, we shouldn't necessarily be conducting foreign policy by either referendum with the United States public or with, uh, you know, depending on what's going to make us popular overseas, right? There are things, there are smart national security decisions that have to get made that might not be popular in other countries. The only, the only kind of contention that, or the only sort of premise that this, the survey is based on is that when you're doing public diplomacy, when you're trying to win over people's hearts and minds, you should actually measure, uh, you know, measure the thing you're trying to to, to change or the thing you're trying to affect. And so it's not impossible to do that now. There are, you know, reputable um, sort of survey ven vendors and, and and firms that will uh, that will do this. The the internet has made it really easy to. Uh, take the pulse of people all around the world. Um, I'll also say that these, the survey was done uh, and is representative of the online public, not the national population. So in countries like 
Nigeria, um, you know, we waited for age and we waited for gender so that we were hitting certain kinds of quotas that were more representative. Um, but there are large swaths of people that don't have internet access. And so we weren't capturing that. Um, that said, uh, you know, opinion leaders, people sort of who were political elites, people who were uh, living in major sort of cities and capital cities and, and uh, making decisions, uh, uh, are, are getting are getting in, uh, queried by this by this survey. Um, yes. So one thing I will say though, that, and Axios really picked up on this, is that last year we found that Chinese people were overwhelmingly supportive of the United States and its form of government. That was like the big headline from our report. And this year, the uh, decrease, the dip, the the deterioration of um, positive sentiment in China toward the U.S. Uh, was pretty breathtaking, and uh, you know we can kind of speculate as to to why that might be. It's whether it's the the trade war that the Trump administration is is sort of uh, waging, or it is America's explicit support for pro democracy protesters in Hong Kong, um, or Chinese propaganda itself. It, it could be any combination of those things. Um, but yeah, one one of the things that we did see that did seem aberrant or or uh, sort of not not sort of consistent with past past surveys was the dip in and and the plunge rather in, in Chinese sentiment toward the U.S. I think it's fascinating to reflect on how labile these opinions are. My sense is that you know most Americans don't have a particularly good grasp on what the pillars of American style democracy are. And I'm very doubtful that publics around the world have a better grasp than Americans do. I think, you know, maybe they have some romantic notion of what American democracy means. Um, but, you know, given how things move up and down, my sense is that current events are playing a really big role here. And as you do this survey year after year, it's going to be really interesting to see how, how this plays out and whether different countries are, you know, anchored at higher and lower level supports despite despite all the up and down. Yeah, yeah, I think that's, and, and that's important, uh, an important thing to mention. I mean, there were a lot of trends that we noticed or a lot of uh, observations that uh, crossed, uh, that transcended uh, these 10 countries. And, and we did do an international sort of, uh, a, a, a sort of analysis of, of sort of an analysis of international trends but the white paper itself, the report itself, which is, you know, your listeners can uh, find on egfound.org, like Eurasia Group Foundation, egfound.org slash model hyphen democracy, model democracy. Um, it has a country by country breakdown there and includes some light analysis on, uh, you know, what's going on in each of these countries that might explain uh, the more idiosyncratic uh, observations that we made uh, of each of these of each of these publics. You asked a couple of really interesting questions, asking people to reflect on American influence in their region and on their nation. What specifically did you find that the publics of other countries were uh, reacting to? Yeah, yeah. There, I mean, there, there is a. Uh, we asked uh, not just about uh, you know American style democracy and why why people liked it or didn't like it there were you know we did ask follow-up questions to that but we also wanted to probe further on uh, how they perceived 
American influence. You know, it's sort of a, uh, this is a question that I think was, uh, makes a lot of sense given that the U.S. is a, uh, very much a global superpower, has, uh, influence in, in every, every part of the world. And, uh, we asked, you know, whether in the past 20 years, uh, individuals consider that influence in their region or country as positive or negative. Um, and it was interesting because India has off the charts, positive, um, positive opinion of the U S. Um, I wonder whether some of that has to do with the Trump administration's you know, reduction of support for the Pakistani, uh, Pakistani military. Um, and, you know, Germany and, uh, was sandwiched right there between China and Russia in terms of, uh, you know, thinking that America's presence apparently in, uh, in the middle of Europe is, is a negative thing. Um, again, you know, how much of that is, uh, opinion is informed by a kind of frank assessment of, uh, German national security interests, and uh, it's it's an open question. Some of this could be kind of uh, some of these responses could be a, a more emotional or more uh, more sort of impressionistic. Um, but it's interesting because you know seeing how other countries assess the kind of de- forward deployed presence of American troops, the 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 economic. Uh, influence of uh, American companies and, and the American government in different parts of the world uh, does vary uh, significantly by uh, from country to country. Again, though, that's like, that's not something new, you know, so, um, you know, it's, it's interesting to see that there's that variance across countries. But, you know, the German case, um, you know, during the Cold War, the, the German public was not in any way united um, in their support for US troops on German territory. That's, um, there were protests, there was a peace movement, um, you know, all sorts of things. And, you know, if you look more recently, look in 2014, 2015, at polls um, of Germans about, you know, know, uh, do you think that NATO should get involved with the Russian seizure of Crimea and things like that? The, the German public was fairly overwhelmingly opposed to that. So there's a lot of, of reticence, um, you know, am- among the, the German public. Um, and so, again, I, I just keep coming back to this point that you made early on, which is that, you know, our allies appear to be less... Um, copacetic with us than perhaps most Americans would think. And the countries that are either non-traditional allies, like like India, who knows what category that fits in, or, you know, active, you know, quote unquote adversaries, Russia, China, that were more popular in those places. Well, I think your point too about, uh, especially with, uh, in the Middle East, uh, you know, countries that are our uh, nominal allies having uh, being home to publics who really uh, dislike or resent the United States is an important one, and and countries where we maintain we have more acrimonious relationship with like Iran. I, I did ask a question to uh, Foreign Minister Zarif. He comes, you know, he comes to New York and kind of around Unga and tries to sort Press of flesh. Sort of Yes, press flesh and, and sweet talk uh, American journalists and, and, and think tank types. Um, but he said, and I thought this was really interesting that, you know, I, or I asked him a question about like, oh, in Iran, you know, the people are more pro-American than uh, they are in, you know, for example, uh, Egypt or, or something. And he's or throughout, you know, more pro-American than they are throughout pretty much the Middle East. 
And he corrected me and he said, no, no, they're not pro-American. They're just not as anti-American as, as people in, in those countries. And it was a fair point potentially, but all that said, um, yes, you know, we, we don't have a necessarily a good, uh, relationship. It's interesting to debate how to interpret people's answers to questions about whether they like the United States and American style democracy and whether U.S. influence is positive or negative. A lot of interesting stuff there, but where it really matters, the U.S. wins. Because when you asked people whether it was better to have the United States be the world's leading power or whether it would be better to have China be the world's leading power, almost 80% said that U.S. leadership is better for the world and better for their country. Um, and you once again asked some follow-up questions on that. What, what did you guys find and how, how do you interpret those answers? Yeah, we, we asked uh, everybody who, you know, we did some skip logic in the, in the survey so that people who responded, you know, that, that the U.S. Uh, international leadership is better for their country or better for the world, um, basically were asked why and, uh, and, and were given a multiple choice answer. And then the people who selected China uh, were asked, why, why China? Um, and so they got a different question with a different set of uh, answer options that are sort of commonly understood to be why people, why people might prefer China to the US. One thing that we noticed um, that was interesting to us and potentially an area for uh, what was sobering was that people who selected the United States as being preferable. And again, you know, this was, this was nearly 80% of respondents across all, all these 5,000 people across these 10 countries. Um, people who selected the United States uh, did so because uh, either the United States is a reliable economic partner, which was the most popular answer, or that their country has a history of working with the United States. So it had this kind of mutually beneficial, slightly transactional um, rationale for for wanting the U.S. to be the world's leader. Um, question or sort of answer options related to. Uh, being the leader of the free world or democracy and, and human rights were less uh, less cited. Um, so that's not a big deal because it you know it's it might seem it might seem obvious that people would would choose something that was less values based and more uh, sort of transactional or self interested. But when we asked about for the twenty percent of the people or so who selected China, their most popular answer option was values-based. It was because China uh, pri privileges uh, security and stability over individual freedoms. Um, it wasn't because, you know, their country had a history of working with China or economic investment from China, the Belt and Road Initiative. There, there weren't, a, and to be fair, you know, China has a less robust, uh, you know, uh, relationship with a lot of these countries. But um, it was notable that the people who in these countries who do select China, you know, Nigeria and other countries, India, they do it because of a, of a, they, they like China's actual model. Um, and that was notable. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I've, I've been working with a, a friend, a co-author for some time on a paper about, you know, views of the liberal international order, um, you know, and how American actions have shaped that. And it feels just like this fits very much into the mold that we've been talking about where American um, 
military intervention, willingness to privilege values over stability, the sort of the opposite of the Chinese model, seems like it might be turning some people off, um, you know, and if they're still privileging the more transactional side of things. So that's a really interesting finding. Yeah, yeah. And and uh, as you're writing your article, please do cite our report. Uh, always happy for the... <laughs> no, but but the... Um, yeah, it it is. And I think it's, again, you know, as we look at democracy promotion, I think, you know, this doesn't, you shouldn't walk away like head held low and tail between our legs saying that our values are somehow um, un, unimportant or unappealing. Like, I, I do think there is a way in which, uh, you know, uh, values of, of individual liberties and, and freedom and economic sort of opportunity do have you know, strong appeal, uh, around the world. Um, but the fact is that's not the reason people have a very strong opinion of the U S that's not the reason that people want the United States to stay atop of that liberal international order. The people who do want that, who want the United States to maintain its leadership position do so because it serves their country well, and it serves they presumably themselves well. Yeah, well, I have to say, as a critic of U.S. foreign policy over the years, I'm not surprised that people around the world would be skeptical uh, about the U.S. as the standard bearer for liberal democracy. I mean, if you've been watching the United States at all closely for the past 20 years or so, you have to have doubts about the United States. I mean, if that's what liberal democracy looks like, my goodness, maybe we don't need so much of it, uh, or at least the American brand of liberal democracy. And I think if you, you know, if you did this survey, um, you'd get different answers if you took the United States out of the questions, you know, it was less of a leading question about the United States and you just asked about the ideals themselves. I think the appeal of individual liberty and human rights are much more widespread than love for America is these days. Yeah, yeah. And we and and, to, and this was a binary choice between the US and China. You know, we didn't give people the opportunity to select, you know, France or, or Germany or Japan as the potential uh, leader of the, you know, sort of model to, or sort of sitting atop the international order such as it is. Um, so this was, you know, this to th this question had certain limitations built in because it forced a chance, it didn't have a none of the above uh, possibility um, either. Right, right, my country should be on top instead of these two yahoos. Right. Sure, yeah. sure. And but, then, but we did ask, we did ask a country, uh, we did ask, one of the questions was, you know, which country has the best form of government? And uh, there were a lot of people who, uh, you know, across, across different countries that put the United States in the first or second position, uh, you know, even, I think China had it as second only to China, and so um, that was that was interesting. It could again have been a social desirability thing, but but I think that you know this we shouldn't be sheepish about these results. The, the American sort of model is is attractive, um, you know. Again, sort of stepping back, why we did this survey. So much of American foreign policy is animated by this idea that, you know, institutions are the thing that matter, that we need to uh, prop up certain types of democratic institutions in different countries and make sure that uh, laws in those countries are uh, democratic, that uh, protect, you know, minorities and individual freedoms and all these good things. And that's all well and good, but institutions and laws are populated by and enforced 
by people, right? And so we can we can coerce uh, foreign governments with potent economic incentives or uh, conditional military and security cooperation to do certain things, to pass certain laws. But if the ordinary people who uh, live in those countries and who who uh, you know comprise those institutions don't actually think the way we think or, or believe the, what we believe, uh, we, those, those can erode really quickly. And we're starting to see that, right? Like we're starting to see how brittle uh, democratic institutions are around the world. And, you know, people are shocked and horrified. But if we were only paying attention to what, uh, what ordinary people believed and thought, and, and you know, I, I would hope that other organizations would throw, throw surveys like this into the field because, there, you know, there are so many opportunities to ask many different kinds of questions, more sophisticated than ours, more, you know, detailed on, than ours on in different topics and, and sort of different specializations. Um, you know, there's a real need to not just pat ourselves on the back because a certain developing country passes a law that allows for media freedom and anti-corruption. Like if, if people in those, if those countries are still incentivized to be corrupt or still don't care too much about whether or not their government is corrupt, they're giving license to do to undermine the things that we're spending so much energy to uh, to uh, promote. So I, I guess that raises sort of one last question. Um, you know, we've been mostly talking about your results. Um, you obviously fielded the survey in the the BC time right before Corona, um, and so you your survey results came in well before this pandemic hit. Um, at that time, about half of respondents said they'd like to see their government become more like that of the United States. Only about a fifth said that they wanted to see their system become less like America's. Um, and so I, I guess the question I have is, how do you think the pandemic has has changed those views, um, if, if at all? Um, America has not done a great job of responding to the pandemic. Our government has been perhaps among the worst global responses to this. Um, and so I'm, I'm curious what you think the results would be if you fielded this poll today. Yeah, I don't think I don't think they would be more favorable to the U.S. And and look, I'm I'm an, I'm a researcher, and I I, do, I don't want to sort of betray any kind of, uh, you know, it, it's it's making speculations about counterfactuals is is as a, as a dogged empiricist is something I am uh, reluctant to do. But no, I I can't imagine a world where um, the response by uh, the American government to this pandemic uh, has done a lot to boost uh, our, our uh, reputation in the world. And again, getting back to the reason that people in these 10 countries uh, prefer US to Chinese international leadership. It's all about, uh, or it's mostly about rather, uh, being a reliable partner. And so we're starting to see, you know, for example, uh, Germany declaring or, or, you know, calling out the U.S. for diverting uh, shipments of masks uh, and personal protective equipment uh, away from Germany, from China. Um, we're starting to see uh, the developing world start to, uh, you know, basically be outbid by the U.S. government uh, and be outbid by state governments, which are competing with each other. I mean, the, the storyline here isn't that of, uh, it's not a strong advertisement for Democracy. Uh, it's not a strong advertisement for competence or, or uh, you know, the the right way to uh, 
to do things. Um, that said, you know, in theory, at least, information in the United States flows more freely, right? And the kind of cri- criticism and critiques that are being made about the government here would be all but uh, uh, prohibited in a country like China. So, you know, this isn't going to be, I think, uh, a, a big win reputationally for either the United States or China. I think it's going to be um, a, a way in which, you know, country, different countries are, are looking to each other, are looking to sort of middle-sized economies and, and countries with sort of diverse public health models to learn from one another. And, you know, there is there's a way in which the United States could uh, achieve some humility and, and, and learn from other countries that are containing this virus a lot more effectively. I mean, I, I, I live in New York City and, and some of the worst consequences of this kind of botched pandemic response are, are very stark uh, in Brooklyn, outside of, uh, outside of morgues and, and uh, funeral homes. You know, you have these horrifying stories of these trucks being uh, freezer trucks being packed with people and, and mass graves. And, and those stories aren't just mortifying to the American public. They're mortifying to people around the world for better or worse. American news is consumed at a greater rate around the world than the news for coming from other countries. So uh, yeah, the, we, we will take a, a, another stab at this next year. And presumably we will add in a question about uh, coronavirus response, not just America's, but other countries. And um, it will be interesting to see the way in which certain impressions of this response uh, relate to uh, favorable or unfavorable views of American democracy. But stay tuned, and I hope you'll have me on next year when we come out with the uh, third annual edition of our uh, Survey of International Public Opinion. Well, I think we can guarantee that, Mark. Um, that That's a good place to put a pin in it, a plug for next year. I like the way you're thinking ahead. And, and thanks to our, our producing team of Tyler Shanahan and Cecil Sherman. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Thank you, Mark, for joining us. To continue the conversation, our Twitter handle is at Power Problems. And if you like the show, please leave us a good review on iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts.